Well, good morning, everyone. Josh here. We're in week two of our brand new series, Miracles and Mercy. And Steve did a great job kicking us off strong last week, talking about miracles. Really opened our eyes to what miracles are all about. I took a few notes. I want to mention them to you. There is a message in the miracles. There's diversity of miracles to express the diverse richness in the kingdom of God. Miracles are signs pointing to a greater rescue. Miracles are so that you will know and so that you will believe. If you missed last week's message, you can find it on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook page, as you can find all of these messages. So we'd encourage you to go back and listen to that if you missed. For the next few moments together, we're going to talk about Jesus' mission. And I know last week we focused on miracles, and the title is Miracles and Mercy. So this week we're going to focus on mercy. If miracles are inexplicable acts of God's grace to us, then mercy are things that God withholds from us. Grace is what God gives. Mercy is what God does not give. Grace is what he gives us. And mercy is what he doesn't give us. Grace can be called unmerited favor. God's blessings to sinful humanity. We do not deserve it. What we do deserve, however, is punishment from a righteous God because we don't meet his holy standard. Mercy is what he doesn't give us, what he holds back from us. So this morning we're going to talk about Jesus' mission of mercy. In seasons like this, we're all asking for a miracle, aren't we? We're asking for a vaccine. We're asking for COVID-19 to come to an end. We're asking to be able to get back together. And it can be so easy to fixate on the frustration of what we perceive as God not doing, the miracles he's not giving, the answers to prayer that he's not sending. And I want us to change our perspective just ever so slightly on that. Mercy is deserved punishment withheld from sinful mankind. Why doesn't God give us what we ask for? Why doesn't God answer the prayers that we are praying so fervently in this season? Why doesn't God send a miracle in this season? We know that he can. What I want to talk about today is can we be thankful for the things that God doesn't give us? And this might be an oversimplification, but I want to give this illustration. Now, when I was a kid, I wanted my parents so desperately to give me things like chocolate bars, right? for supper. Why not a chocolate bar? Or maybe these were my favorite. How about Doritos, right? Doritos for supper. Why not? I know that my parents' head in the highest cupboard up on top of the shelf where we couldn't reach all the candy and chocolates from Christmas, Easter, Halloween. It was just sitting there. Why can't we have some before supper, after supper? Just give it to us. This is what we want. But instead, what my parents would send me were fruit and vegetables. I mean, what kid likes carrots? It's like chewing on a stick, isn't it? And I mean oranges, really? But I'm so thankful that in that season of my life, my parents gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. How different would life be if parents just gave children whatever they wanted? God's not like a genie. He doesn't just give us our three wishes. God is a good and loving father who gives us what we need in this season when we need it, instead of what we think we want. Elsie shared this quote with me from Tim Keller, and I love it. 
Timothy Keller says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew what God knows. He also said it this way, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for the gifts that he gives us. How differently would our perspective be if we saw what God saw and we knew what God knows? Can you be thankful today for the miracle that doesn't come? Can you be thankful for the things that God doesn't give in this season? Why don't you join me in prayer as we dig into the book of Luke chapter 4, if you would turn there. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you so much for your word this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his miracles. We thank you for his mercy. God, sometimes we focus more on the miracles of grace than his acts of mercy. We focus more on what he gives us and less on what he doesn't give us. God, help us to gain a fresh perspective on the blessings that come into our life, but also the blessings in the way of things that you hold back from our lives. God, we, we pray for this season in our community, in our country, and around the world. And God, we pray that you would continue to work as we know that you are working. In Jesus' name, amen. So would you turn to the book of Luke, chapter 4. We have just begun into the Gospels. We're talking about Jesus, his mission, miracles, and mercy. Let me give you some context. Luke, chapter 4. Jesus has grown up in obscurity for 30 years in a little small town called Nazareth where everybody knows everybody. He's just the carpenter's kid. And then he announces publicly the start of his earthly mission by going to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. The spirit descends like a dove, voice from heaven cries out, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus, full of the spirit and led by the spirit, goes into the wilderness for 40 days. At the end of 40 days, the devil shows up to test Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the spirit led Jesus into a place where the devil could tempt him? And I think about this season in our life, it might feel difficult, it might feel tempting to give up, throw in the towel, get frustrated, lose our faith, but God is working into our lives things that can only happen in a season like this. The devil tempts Jesus with three things. He tempts him with food, with power, and then with safety and security. Those are all temptations for instant personal gratification. Like if I was out in the wilderness for 40 days and I didn't have anything to eat, I was fasting that whole time, felt as if I was starving, and I knew because I was the son of God, I could flick my fingers and turn that rock into a nice fresh baked loaf of sourdough bread. Wouldn't you do it? But Jesus gave up the independent use of his powers, his attributes as the son of God, and he subjected himself to a life of humanity as a man. We're so thankful that Jesus didn't give in to temptation. After the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus begins his journey home, and he comes to his hometown region around the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias. It was known by a number of different names. He's in his hometown region. He's going to the synagogues, and he's teaching people about his mission. We arrive at verse 16. Would you join me at verse 16? Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Jesus is in his hometown. He's in his hometown region and he's in his hometown. The region of Galilee was a number of small towns and villages. It was a fishing community, farming community, lots of blue collar. 
Does that sound familiar? You know, the, the people in Jerusalem actually snubbed their noses at people from Galilee because they just thought they were hicks. The people in Galilee were a mixed race, lots of outsiders, lots of non-Jewish Gentile people. This is where Jesus was brought up. This is where Jesus announces his mission. I love how it says, as was his custom, he's in the synagogue standing up to read scripture. Jesus already had a lifestyle of practicing and prioritizing gathering with God's people to worship and to study scripture. Let me say, don't ever lose the priority of corporate worship. Coming together on Sunday mornings to dedicate the first day of the week to God, spending time with his people, studying the word, and worshiping his name. That's the example Jesus set. Let's follow his example. And then Jesus stands up to read in the synagogue. And I realize we're going through the Bible. We've been going through the Old Testament. We've just arrived in the New Testament. We're talking about Jesus. The term synagogue probably isn't a term that we've looked at in recent years. So let me talk about it for a moment. You remember when the Israelite people were taken into captivity in Babylon. The temple was destroyed. The tabernacle from the wilderness is long gone. So now the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, no longer have access to their sacrificial system, their ceremonial laws. So instead, they gathered together in gathering places, which later became known in Greek as synagogues. This is where they would study scripture, discuss the law. This is where the office and position of scribes became popular. People who were experts in the law, studied the law, taught the law. And now, in the New Testament, Jesus arrives in the synagogue, as was his custom. He stands up to read. And here's what he read. Verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll And he found the place where it was written. Most likely in synagogues, this was the prescribed reading for the day. I guarantee Jesus didn't flip open that scroll, point to whatever verse came like Bible bingo, and then just read it. It's helpful to have a plan when you're reading the Bible. We're preaching through a curriculum through three years. And we are giving out a reading plan every week in our faith newsletter so that you can read what we're going to be preaching on the following week. It's so helpful to have a plan when it comes to reading scripture. Jesus stands up to read this scripture from Isaiah chapter 61. Let's look at what it says. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, period. That's where he stops reading. Verse 20, he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. What is he going to say next? Verse 21, he began to say to them, today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is a huge messianic claim. Jesus is claiming to be the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Christ. Everybody in that synagogue listening to Jesus would translate this as Jesus claiming to be the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus talks about his mission. 
Jesus' mission was good news, liberty, freedom, healing, the miracle of renewed vision, recovered sight. Jesus came to free the captives, to lift the burden off of the oppressed, to open the eyes that were blind. Jesus came to help hurting people, broken people, people who felt trapped. Jesus' mission was for people. God's mission is for people. Today, if you feel like a broken person, a trapped person, a blind person, you can't see hope, you can't see future, you feel stuck, then the mission of Jesus is for you today. God's heart is for people. Jesus' mission is for people. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you need to be for people. You can't get around that in the Bible. Jesus summed up the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, you love God and you need to love the people around you. If you're not loving the people around you, if you're not helping the sick, helping the hurting, lifting burdens, opening eyes for people... What are we doing? What other purpose is there to be on this planet and to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if not to be for the people around us because of the good news of Jesus? Verse 19, he says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee, it was known as in the Old Testament. Every 50 years, God would restore and bring back the people from their captivity, back into their land. God would do the work. The people rested in God's accomplished work. Jesus is saying, I'm inaugurating the age of grace. I'm inaugurating the year of the Lord's favor. It's here. It's a time of grace, unmerited favor towards sinful mankind. You no longer have to work. The law is abolished. You just have to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be redeemed, brought back, and pulled out of oppression. It's a time for celebration, a time for rejoicing. Here's the sticky part. The Jews know all about the Messiah. And in fact, they had added a lot of preconceived notions about who the Messiah would be. They heard everything Jesus was saying and what they wanted, what they thought they wanted, was a conquering, military, tough political leader who could free them from the oppression of the Romans. They wanted a tough guy but God knew that they needed a caring shepherd for their wandering soul. What they thought they needed was to be freed from oppression of the Romans, but what Jesus knew they needed was to be freed from the bondage of sin. You know, Steve made this point last week. The spiritual miracle far surpasses any physical miracle that we may or may not experience in this life. Jesus' message, the Messiah's message, was a spiritual message. He didn't come to break physical shackles, although that's part of the kingdom of God. He came to break spiritual shackles. He came to free us from the bondage of sin. He came to open eyes that were blinded because of sin and evil and the devil. He came to free us spiritually first. That's why he said to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven, before he invited him to stand up, take his bed, and walk home. The spiritual miracle far surpasses any physical miracle that we may or may not experience. But here's the bit that really grabbed my attention. Are you ready for this? Jesus didn't read the whole thought. He didn't finish the sentence. He didn't finish the verse. He stopped halfway through the thought 
and he ended it there. Was it a mistake? Well, Jesus doesn't make mistakes. It was on purpose. After he reads it, Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down and begins talking about it. He did it on purpose. So what did he leave out? Do you want to know? All right, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 61 and we'll read what Jesus quoted that day in the synagogue. I'll read it for you. Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Doesn't that sound lovely? The day of vengeance. What kind of word is vengeance? You cannot say the word vengeance while you smile. It can't be done. You can try it. Vengeance means punishment, retribution, payback for an injury or for wrong. This is punishment from a just God on sinful humanity. Do you realize that's what we deserve? That's what we deserve. The Bible says all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. When the measure is God's perfection, we've all fallen short. If you've broken God's law in one point, it's as if you broke all of God's law. None of us can reach God's measure of perfection. And because of that, what we deserve is punishment for all eternity in a place called hell. That's terrible. That's terrible news. But Jesus came to proclaim good news. And he left out the day of vengeance of our God. Here's why I left it out, because it's not here yet. It's not here yet. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come preaching vengeance. He came preaching an invitation of good news that no longer mankind must be separated from God because of sin, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be united. We can be redeemed. We can brought into God's family and be given a home in heaven. That's the message that Jesus came to preach. And he left out the day of vengeance of our God. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to give sight to the blind. He came to lift the burden of the oppressed, to break the chains of those who are captive. You know what he doesn't give us? He doesn't give us what we deserve. Aren't you thankful for that today? He doesn't give us what we deserve because what we deserve is death. What we deserve is punishment for our sin in a place called hell for all eternity. But Jesus came to free us from that punishment and from the bondage of sin. He doesn't give us what we deserve. You know, anytime you catch yourself making the comment or the excuse, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be stuck at home. I don't deserve to have been laid off. I don't deserve this. The truth is, you are so right. You do not deserve this because what we are getting right now is so much more than what we deserve. We deserve the punishment of our sin. But because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we don't have to face that punishment. It's erased in the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. And his garment of righteousness and love 
we take on ourselves. So that when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see a guilty sinner. He sees the grace and perfection of his son. Mercy. What God doesn't give us is what we deserve. Praise God. Look at verse 22. And all spoke well of him. And they all marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth until they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's kid that lives down the road that grew up with my kids? I mean, my son went to his bar mitzvah and here's his teacher right here and here's the rocking chair that he helped his father build for my grandmother. Like, this kid is from our hometown. Look at verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. What you did there, do it here as well. Show us too. Verse 24, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown because familiarity breeds contempt. Do you know that to be true? This is just the carpenter's boy. We've known him for 30 years. He was just a teenager who lived down the road. Now you're telling us that you're the Messiah? Prove it. Show us a miracle, Jesus. Show us a sign. We heard that you apparently raised up a man who was paralyzed. Why don't you show us how you did that? Jesus, show us how you opened the eyes of the blind. Show us how you loosed the tongue of the man who couldn't speak. Show us how you opened the ears of the man who couldn't hear. Show us a sign. Show us a miracle. Show us a magic trick, Jesus. Why don't you show us? You know, a lot of the crowd that followed Jesus were there just to watch the show. They just wanted to see a sign. Jesus got after the religious leaders and the political leaders multiple times because they just wanted a sign. They just wanted a miracle. They just wanted to watch some sort of magic show. But Jesus knew that that's not what they needed. It's not what they needed. Why not? What's the big deal with showing off? I mean, if you're the son of God, why not flex your muscle? Why not demonstrate your power? Why not prove to the world, to your hometown, look at who I am. Look at what I can do. Why not? Why does God not just grant us our every wish? Why does God not provide a cure and a treatment and a vaccine for COVID-19 that ends it just like that and at the same time proves his existence as creator of the universe to all of the scientific community. Why doesn't he do that? Because he can't? No, he can do it. If it's not a question of power, then maybe it's a question of mission. Let's look at verse 25. Jesus says, but in truth, I tell you, There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. You remember we talked about Elijah. It doesn't seem like that long ago, last fall. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of the widows in Israel, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to the Gentiles, to a woman who was a widow. Verse 27 There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, who followed Elijah, his his protege. None of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Okay, one quick semi-related point for Mandy Stanley on leadership and ministry. Do for one person what you wish you could do for everyone. You're not going to be able to help everybody 
but you can help somebody. You can't pick up groceries for everybody on the block, but you can pick up groceries for somebody. Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now what Jesus is saying by talking about Elijah and Elisha is that the miracle of physical healing pales in comparison to the miracle of personal faith. What Jesus is saying is that a Gentile woman and a Gentile leper, both of which would be untouchable and downcast, outcasts in Jewish culture and law, he's saying these untouchables are more acceptable to God than unbelieving Israelites. The miracle of physical healing pales in comparison to the miracle of spiritual faith. That's what Jesus is saying. And you guessed it, it's not what they wanted to hear. Watch what happens next in verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Verse 29, they rose up, they drove him out of town, they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away, which is a miracle in and of itself. Jesus has an angry mob in his hometown who wants to throw him down a cliff, and he just turns around, walks through this angry mob, and heads off. These people wanted a sign, wanted a miracle, wanted Jesus to prove something to them so bad that they were willing to kill him for it. Is there a miracle you're asking God for in this season so desperately that he does not seem to be giving you? Maybe you're knocking on the door fervently, but he just seems to be withholding it from you. Could it be, maybe with all your heart, you truly believe that what you're asking for is good and true and right, but it just doesn't seem to come. He isn't giving you what you want. Well, that's point number two. God doesn't always give us what we want. I wonder how many people of Nazareth realized over the three years of Jesus' ministry that what they wanted from Jesus initially is not what they needed from Jesus in the end. They wanted a sign. They wanted a trick. They wanted a miracle. But what they really needed from Jesus was not some powerful, political, militant leader. What they really needed was a caring shepherd for their lost and wandering souls. What they really needed was a savior of their sins, not their symptoms. Jesus, in mercy, refused to give them what they initially wanted. Maybe God is refusing to give you what you're asking for because he knows it's not what you need in this season. Maybe the resiliency that God is building in you in this season, the faith that he is building, the righteous anger for the plight of the oppressed are more miracles that God wants to build in you than just a miracle to take us back to normal. Maybe what God is doing for you in this season is greater than the miracle of getting out of this season. Maybe what you want is not what God knows you need. If we knew what God knew, we would ask exactly for the gift that he would give us, says Timothy Keller. 
My story is one of closed doors, as probably yours is too. I thought my life was going in a direction, the door closed, and God led me in another way. And here's just one of those instances. Do you remember middle school? (laughs) Maybe for you it was a long time ago. But I can remember middle school. I liked middle school. There's a lot of people who really struggled through middle school. I feel like I thrived. I liked middle school more than I enjoyed high school. I had friends. I had sports. I had a lot of kids from my class coming out to my youth group. My local church was seeing people in the community saved. It was an exciting time. But then God called my family from Ontario, where we lived, to Truro, Nova Scotia. Well, I can tell you, That up to that point in my life, I have never prayed against something harder, with more tears, with more pain, than my little traumatized middle school heart could handle. But you know what? God never answered that prayer. And as silly as it is, as traumatizing as it is for a middle school student to be pulled cross-country back to the East Coast, I look back on it now and I realize If God had have answered that miracle that I was praying for so hard, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have met my friends that meant so much to me through high school, through college. I might not be in ministry today. I probably wouldn't be here today. Praise God that he didn't answer the miracle that I was asking for in a season when I thought that's desperately what I needed. Praise God for the miracle that never came. Praise God that he didn't give me what I thought I wanted in a season because he knew all of eternity, past, present, and future, what I really needed. I praise God that he doesn't give us always what we want. Jesus heads down to Capernaum where he heals a man possessed by a demon in the synagogue. And then he follows Simon Peter to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she's lying sick with a very high fever. Jesus heals her as well. And then as Sabbath is coming to a close and the sun is setting, all these people are free to come and meet Jesus again because the Sabbath is over. They bring all of these people who need to be healed. And Jesus is teaching, Jesus is healing. And then we come to verse 42. As we come to a close, let's look at verse 42 together. And when it was day, he departed. He went into a desolate place, as was his custom. The people sought him and came to him, all the people from Capernaum, and they would not, they would have kept him from leaving. Isn't that an interesting contrast? Capernaum doesn't want him to leave. Nazareth doesn't want him to live. Verse 43, but he said to them, here's his mission statement. He reiterates it again for us. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, because his mission is for people. For I was sent for this purpose. Verse 44, he was preaching in the synagogue of Judea. His mission was not miracles and marvels. His mission was a message of mercy. That's why Jesus came. To give us the truth of our state in sin and what we truly deserve from a righteous God. To grip our hearts and to make us really question what we want so that God can show us and offer us what we really need. What we really need. God's message, Jesus' mission, was his message of grace. What he offers a dying 
sinful world without hope. You know, can I be so bold as to tell you what you really need today? What you really need today is not health, it's not wealth, it's not fame and fortune. What you really need today is an answer for the plight of your soul. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, now, more than ever, it seems, we are totally aware of the plight of humanity. We are so aware and focused on the fragility of human existence. We know that in the end, there is death for everyone. Not just physical death, but there is spiritual death, separation from God because of our sin and because of our choices. And Jesus is the way to access God who is the source of life. What you need today is to know that Jesus is what you need today. That's what you need. More than anything, more than a vaccine, more than a cure, you need Jesus. Because Jesus is the good physician, the good doctor. Luke, who wrote this, is a medical doctor. And he knows that Jesus is not just treating the symptoms of all the evil that we see in this world, but he's treating the root of evil itself. And that is the sin nature within our own hearts. What we really need today is Jesus Christ. If you realize today that Jesus is what you need, and you want to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the source of all the pain and suffering in this world, the evil that's in my heart, in your heart, that only Jesus can remove, that only Jesus can forgive, the place in which only Jesus can give new life, abundant life, hope, and a future. If you realize that today, would you just join me in prayer as we close this message? And then our band is going to come again via video, and we're going to join together in song. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for who you are this morning, Father. God, we thank you for the gifts you give us. We thank you that your mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, that what you give us is just as important as what you withhold from us. God, thank you for not giving us what we deserve. God, thank you for not just ending the story when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, but thank you for all of the grace, all of the mercy that you have shown us. Thank you for not giving us what we thought we wanted in a season of our life, but thank you for giving us what we need. And what we truly need is Jesus Christ today. Father, I pray for those who do not have Jesus in their life. God, I pray that they would know the abundant life that only comes through Christ. I pray that through faith, they would access a home in heaven, a place in your family, that they would access all of the benefits of having a heavenly father who created them, who loves them, who gives life and grace and truth and a purpose. God, we thank you for the hope that we get to experience in you. Father, I pray if there are any who would like to make that decision today, that they would simply call out on your name, that they would admit that what they deserve because of their sin is death. And the only way to have forgiveness of sins is because of your son, Jesus Christ, what he accomplished in dying on the cross and then rising from the dead to give us new life. God, I pray that they would receive that, that they would cry out to you, that they would believe and that today you would save them, Father. God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. Pray for our church family and I pray for our community now, Father. 
Thank you for the beautiful weather. Thank you for all the gifts that you give. And thank you for what you withhold as well. In Jesus' name, amen.